ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another wonderful and exciting episode of the Anthology of Horror. I am your host and narrator, spring Jack, and we're going to get started today after a few brief disclaimers and announcements. First of all, this show is not safe for work. If you're easily offended, go fuck yourself. Turn it off right now because you're not going to like it. Spare me the negative reviews. Second, I use advertisements in this show that I do not own the rights to. They are the creative property of Rockstar Games. I play them because I enjoy them, and we're going to get started after one of those. On the inside, you're all action, because nothing impresses people like looking the part. I want a lot of impressive sports electronics that look great on my desk, but I never use. Crevice. Stop by Crevice and start looking the lifestyle you wish you had. Buy medals for marathons you never ran, or a beaten up surfboard and surf wax you'll never use, or carabiners, climbing supplies, and doctored photos of you on Everest. Plus a thousand other stories you can tell to seem like the adventurer you are on the inside. Crevice. We help you take the inside outside crevice never stop pretending if you like smartphone games like digifarm try the new spin-offs available on the ifruit phone drone and all overpriced tablets it's digifactory farm ha ha i just slaughtered ten thousand cows die you cows digi death camp digi gangster i'm a tiny I'll kill your tiny pixel family. And Digiplaya, where you seduce and manage your harem of tiny digital foxes. Hello, ladies! Buy them expensive digital flowers and sprite diamonds. Drive a tiny digital sports car. Increase the length and girth of your sprite's penis with experience points. Treat women with the same disdain they've always treated you by clicking and ignoring them. Here you go! The Digi family of mobile games. It's a revolution in human interaction. It's a revolution in social. Well, I found I found a new crevice on Reddit that uh, I've yet to explore, and I think today's probably going to turn into a roastathon. But I picked out a couple of stories just purely based on the name. I've yet to read them. Reading them with you will be the first time going through them. I have a feeling it's going to be a roastathon, but. Let's get started. The first one is called Creepy Man in Abandoned School. In 2001, I was a sophomore in high school and was hanging out with my friend Hadley. Oh, Jesus Christ. We live in the Rust Belt, and the population of our area has declined a lot in the last 40 to 50 years, so our schools were merged as a result of de- declining enrollment, which means that there are a lot of abandoned schools. I lived in a small town in the Pennsylvania-Ohio border, and the abandoned school was a hotspot for teenagers who wanted to smoke reefer and break windows and steal copper piping and shoot up meth and all, you know, typical good time shit. And just cause overall havoc. My friend and I were in a breezeway-type area. Uh, You could just step right in over a one and a half foot wall because the glass had been smashed out. All of a sudden, a guy comes around the corner and grabs my friend, telling her to come with him. We think it's a guy who intends to call the cops, so we book it and start running. And then we eventually started walking to my cousin's house down the street. It's the day before my aunt's birthday. Also, it was a super moon that day. It was uh, March 19, 2011, I believe. I think. I think that's when that was. (laughs) So all of my family's at my cousin's house, and we hang out with them for a bit, and they all end up going out to eat, but my cousin Hadley and I stay at the house. It's now dark outside. We were sitting on my cousin's stoop. And smoking cigarettes, when all of a sudden we see a man walking down my cousin's driveway from the direction of the garage, not the direction of the street. And he has his coat pulled up over his mouth and his hat pulled down to his eyes. So he looked like the suspicious character sign? Jesus Christ. (laughs) 
beware of suspicious activity. It's got that guy with the hat pulled down and the collar of a peacoat up. Jesus Christ. At first, I thought he was jangling keys at us, so my dumbass thinks that it's our uncle trying to give us the house keys, and I walk up to him, and my cousin says, Jake, get the fuck away from him. And now I'm a little bit closer, and I can see what he's doing. He's stroking it. We turn around, run into the house to the front door. The stoop was literally never, ever used and was blocked with a bunch of shit because it opened up onto a storage room, and we thankfully climbed over it and got inside. The guy gets to the front door after us, and finishes all over the sliding glass door and then runs back towards the garage into the woods. We freak the fuck out. We called the cops. Right. They ask us some questions and then they leave. About a week later, a girl who graduated from our high school heard about what happened and remembers seeing a car parked on the street behind my cousin's garage and had taken down the license plate number. That's weird. She reports the number to the police and it's registered to an Ohio man. And we're in Pennsylvania, but literally only a quarter mile away on the border, so not much is done. I don't think that's how that works, by the way. And then a few weeks later, this same car chases a woman down to her home from Walmart in Youngstown, Ohio, and attempts to follow her inside and rape her. He's arrested. Turns out he had a habit, a habit, huh, of trying to sexually assault people in Walmart parking lots in both Newcastle, Pennsylvania and Youngstown, Ohio. He faced charges in both states. And my cousin, friend, and I were all subpoenaed to testify against him. When we go to court, we see his mugshot, and the guy who had masturbated and chased us was the same fucking guy who grabbed my hand in the abandoned school. He wasn't going to call the cops, he was going to try to rape her. He got a few years in prison, but I believe he got out in 2015 or 2016, so yes, Matthew Schellenberger, let's never meet. Oh boy. And that is why, boys and girls, when you go into an abandoned building, you take a firearm. I always do. I go into plenty. I take pictures of them. I don't vandalize or rape people, but I do uh, I do take a firearm. Fuck it. This one's called You Look Good. I've been running in these woods. Yeah, I'll be the judge of that, hoss. <laughs> I've been running in these woods for as long as I can remember, but this might make me change my mind. Ugh, okay. The story began at around 6.30 p.m. I had finished eating and decided to go on a run, as usual. I always use the same path. Cross the street, run for about a kilometer a And past the gate that goes into the woods. Something important to note is that the trail that I use is in the forest. It's separated about halfway through. One path is paved, the other isn't. I usually go on the unpaved path first and then turn into the paved one after about 3 km. I believe that means kilometer. But I'm not sure. I live in America. Nothing ever really goes wrong. I meet some rare people walking their dogs, but other than that, I'm pretty alone. At least I thought I was. I had been running for a while now when I heard... A notification coming from my phone, an airdrop notification. Since I didn't want to make it look like I was worried, I kept running for another couple minutes. And then stopped to change the music. I opened the airdrop dreadfully. Who the hell was sending me stuff? I was pretty sure I was alone. I clicked on the drop and my heart sunk. It was a Snapchat picture of me running with a caption that said, You look good. (laughs) I didn't turn around. Instead, I kept running like nothing happened until I reached a certain point. You see, the forest is surrounded by a fence to stop children from coming in unsupervised. And I didn't like I didn't like that rule so much when I was little, so my friends and I cut a hole in it. When I was when I was in line with the hole, I quickly turned and buried myself into the forest, aiming for my escape. I could hear ruffling behind me and still didn't turn back. When I finally reached the hole, I jumped through it and absolutely booked it to the fire station that was a couple streets down. The last thing I could hear when leaving the forest was an angry huff and metal meeting metal. 
I still don't know who it was or what they wanted from me, but I never ran in the forest again, so creepy stalker guy or whatever you are, I truly hope we never meet. Probably your boyfriend playing a trick on you. Not very funny, but I called baloney. Ooh, I'm a man who got into a stranger's car. As a young gay man of 25 at the time, who's not into the club scene, naturally I turned to dating apps in order to meet and connect with people. I've met many over the years, but none who put a chill down my spine quite like Cody. Cody's profile sported a kind half-smile. I liked the seemingly shy types, and we were about the same age. Cody wanted to grab a bite to eat at a random place, and I was down for it. I needed to eat. Might as well be with a new friend, possibly a lover, right? Makes sense to meet in a public space. All right, fair enough. Sure does. The first sign that something was off was before we even met, I told him my legal name and my nickname, not an uncommon or weird nickname at all, and he said, well, I want to call you by your real name. I denied this request politely, saying I prefer my nickname only, but this was the first sign I should have canceled the date. All right, very cautious. I respect that. Good for you. The second sign came when he insisted on picking me up. I told him it was no bother for me to drive to Wendy's. Oh, man. Romantic. But he said he really wanted to go for a night drive. I knew the area pretty well after living there a few months, so I decided to let him pick me up. Cody takes me to the Wendy's drive-thru and says he isn't hungry, (laughs) but that I can get something if I want. I was a little bit weirded out by this because he'd said he wanted to grab a bite to eat, but I still needed to eat, so I ordered anyway. Then the third hint came along, and I let it pass right by me. I tried to hand Cody my card to pay for my meal, and he denied it, saying he was paying for the meal. When he pulled up to the window, he stuck his card to the cashier, looked over and smiled at me rather smugly, as if he'd won some battle I wasn't even fighting. We sit, and I eat, and Cody tells me about his hobbies and his time on the dating apps, and I realize very quickly this isn't the guy for me. He looks barely anything like his picture, not unattractive, but still hardly the same person. And at this point, he's very pushy between not wanting to call me by my nickname, insisting he must drive me, and insisting he pay for my meal. He's also smoking, which for me is a big turnoff. I finish my nuggets and find I'm not hungry for the fries. It's too early for me to politely leave, but Cody doesn't want to sit still. He wants to go on a joyride. I agree to this, since the weather's kind of nice. Then Cody immediately hops on the interstate and drives straight the fuck out of town with me. Now, I don't panic at this, even though I'm new to the area. I still knew generally where we were going, and I've got a keen sense of direction on an iPhone, but Cody decides to hop off the interstate and start driving down a heavily wooded road, and my discomfort level goes through the roof. I look at my phone. Where are we going? There's a nice place down here to relax. What's the place called? Cody says, oh, it's called Sadie's. Okay, well, I've been there before, and this road won't take us there. We're on the way to Colchester. Cody takes his eyes off the road and stares at me in shock for a few moments, stops the car and says, Nope, not going this way. That's where the bunny man lives. Apparently there was an urban legend about a man in the 70s who dressed in a rabbit suit and threatened to kill people with axes, though there had never actually been any death. He immediately turns around and heads back up the road where we came from. At this point, it's been long enough for me to finally say, Well, this has been nice, but I'd like to be going home now. Cody agreed to take me home. We get back to the exit onto the interstate and Cody deliberately drives the wrong way. And I said, hmm, city's that way, and I pointed in the opposite direction. I know another way to get there, said Cody, and I said, that's not possible. The county is north of us, and you're driving south. Cody says, you don't know that. I can see all around the surrounding roads on my phone. None of them go back the way. You have to turn around. 
I don't remember what he said to this, but he does turn around and go the other way. Ten minutes of uncomfortable silence occur, and I finally see my exit coming up, and I said, hey, that's my exit, my apartment complex is just off the exit. Cody says nothing. My exit comes up, and I say, there it is. Cody drove past it. At this point, I'm both scared and furious. What gives? That's the exit to my place. Cody says, I don't drive on roads, I don't know. What are you talking about? My apartment's right there. It's where you picked me up tonight. You've been there before. Cody completely loses his shit. Cody starts screaming. I don't fucking drive on roads. I don't fucking know. And if you haven't noticed, I'm dyslexic and can't read the signs. The night has been fucking horrible and I'm never going to see you again anyway. So just shut the fuck up and I'll drop you off. At this point, I take a deep breath and consider my options. I can't jump out of a moving vehicle. The guy has more muscle than I do. But if he has no more muscle than I do, but if he has a weapon, I'm fucked. Instead, I take my phone out, turn on the map, routing the quickest new route to my apartment. I tell myself that if he makes one more wrong turn, I'm calling the police and saying somebody won't let me out of their car. Good call. It is kidnapping. Cody takes the next exit. We pass by the Wendy's from earlier and stop at the light. I consider gunning for it, just jumping out, flipping him the bird, and calling my roommate to pick me up. I'm in a public area now, and he can't pull anything. I still wish I'd done that to this day, but I didn't. Yeah, it's hard to make decisions like that in the moment, buddy. It's not your fault. Cody took me back to his apartment comp- to my apartment complex and drops me off in the garage. I say nothing as I get out and leave the bag of Wendy's fries behind. I was living in a gated community at the time. Oh, fancy. And instead of heading to my gate, I go to the clubhouse around the corner to get out of sight and immediately go inside, since the door locks behind you. There's a few things I do and don't know about that night. The first is that Cody was a complete and total control freak. He tried to deny calling me by my preferred name, he wouldn't let me pay for the meal, and he wouldn't let me drive myself to dinner. He also became increasingly angry any time he was told something to do, such as take me home or being told how to do something. Oh. I'll never know what Cody had wanted me for me that night. I don't know if he was just trying to take me someplace where his friends would rob me or worse, or if he just wanted some alone time in the woods. I just don't know how many times he tried to take me somewhere that wasn't home. I remember shaking for a solid two hours when I got home, unable to comprehend what had just happened. I'm somewhat glad of the bunny man legend because it clearly scared him to turning around and going the other way, so maybe it's possible he had no idea where he was going after all. I don't know. This was a good eight years or so, and the memory of Cody still chills me sometimes. I checked the news of that county occasionally to see if anyone has disappeared just in case. I did the monumentally stupid thing of getting into a stranger's car, and I'll never know what price I could have paid if I didn't have situational awareness when push came to shove. Fucking A. You handled it pretty well. I'll give you that, bud. All right. Break time. At Bravado, we don't just make cars. We make America. Farms, fields, football, and getting together with some old friends. It's a diner where the waitress knows your name and gives you a hand job. It's a parade down Main Street with children cheering as their parents' jobs get outsourced overseas to be done by illiterate kids. It's a slow-motion shot of your kids running happy on a beach, ignoring the dead mammals and stricken seabirds washing up from the latest oil spill. Our fires burn bright, especially when you're breaking apart furniture and burning it in a barrel to keep warm while your wife turns tricks to buy food. We know America is hurting. We're in this together, which is why we want you to tell your congressman to approve our newest bailout. Bravado. United we stand. Together we fall. 
It's the greatest decade in American history, the 1920s. We led the world in literature, aviation, music, and entertainment. Today, this country's a piece of dog shit. Let's bring back the glories of the jazz age by recreating the conditions that turned America into a superpower. The noble experiment is worth trying again. Vote yes on Proposition 14. Bring back Prohibition and usher America into a new golden age. All right. This one says, I refuse to be the investigator's mistress, so he stalked me. <laughs> I'm going to abstain from giving too much information because this stalker scares the shit out of me. Thankfully, he doesn't read English, so I hope he'll never find this post. Years ago, I moved to follow my boyfriend and do a PhD in his country. I won't name the place, but it's an across-the-ocean type of deal. Alright, you're losing me, fucking crypto bitch. At first, I was very excited. It was a wonderful adventure until when it wasn't. It's hard to describe the complexity of what I felt. I felt alone, misunderstood, far from my family and friends. And even though my boyfriend is wonderful, I really felt the weight of not finding any human connection. Connection spelled with an X. All right, gong number one. <laughs> this could explain why I acted so weird and disconnected from reality in the following story. It's, I'm also a very naive woman. I can tell. And I like to see the best in people around me. That'll get you killed. This has been problematic more than a few times, but the story, but this story, and maybe the worst example of where candid attitude got me. Oh my god, you're a terrible author. My boyfriend and I are into BSDM. <laughs> oh, for the love of God. We do it alone, on our own, and do not participate in events or anything. I do have an account on a known BDSM website. I go there to find new ideas for our sessions and sometimes but rarely post pictures. No faces, no tattoos, and often wear wigs. I get contacted by interested doms once in a while, even though I clearly state I'm not free. Usually they send copy and paste messages, so I just ignore them. Yeah, DTF question mark. Once in a while, though, I'd get a more personal message and make an effort to answer that I'm not interested and that I'm in a relationship. Then why do you have a dating profile account? Why? This is how my discussion with Nick started. He didn't approach me with a will you be my sub, but with curiosity about how to get into BDSM. Or how to got into BDSM. Stating he was quite new to the domain and was interested in understanding the way of life, so I gladly explained it, because you're a naive woman, you already said that. Explanations turned into discussions, where clearly he got the wrong idea. He told me he was in the police, and that he investigated drug cartels. Yeah, homegirl, if he actually did that, he wouldn't be advertising it. He also told me he was married and that he had kids. Interestingly, we have a lot of hobbies in common. A lot. Okay, I won't go into details about the hobbies, but they're kind of specific. Because nobody really cares. Feeling very lonely and combined with the fact that I felt I could trust him because he was married and had kids, I accepted his invitation to start texting on WhatsApp. I want to be clear, my boyfriend knew about this from day one, plus we'd been talking on this website for almost three months before switching to WhatsApp. He was very friendly and interested by my day-to-day -day life. He'd share pictures of his kids and of investigations he was working on. This went on for another three months. Then one day he told me he had he had to interview a suspect close to the town where I lived and asked if we could meet for coffee. I agreed and we met for the first time. You're a fucking buffoon. Before anyone panics, my boyfriend was hiking with friends for a few weeks. I texted him, but he didn't have a signal. 
Sounds like you're sneaking around, hussy. Plus, we have a very trusting relationship. Sure you do. He has a lot of girlfriends, and in backcountry, I hung out with a lot of... Or back in my country, I hung out with a lot of boys. This isn't weird for us. Okay. Back to the first encounter. It felt as if we had known each other for years. We had a great time from the beginning, and I was happy I'd found a friend far from my country. He knew I loved reading thrillers and enjoyed murder investigation videos, so he showed me his gear. Handcuffs, sampling kits for small evidence, other restraints, etc. I didn't feel weird at the moment, but afterwards I kind of understood this could have been a way for him to show off what he could do. However, as the night went on, after grabbing drinks from a nearby bar, he forced me against a wall and kissed me. I was shocked, really, and barely managed to push him off me. I told him it was inappropriate that he was married and I was in a relationship. He was really sorry and said he felt ashamed. He told me he felt there was something between us, and I was like, yeah, it's called friendship. I was, dis- he, he, I was disappointed, and we parted ways. Days later, after he apologized over and over again, he called me up to meet, and he wanted to take me for a ride in his hometown. It's a pretty place. He's got a bike, like a bicycle, and wants me to enjoy the scenery in this country. I barely know. I agree. It's his hometown. He works there. He lives there with his wife and kids. Surely I'll be safe. To sum up, I wasn't. Again, he kissed me. On the bicycle? Tried to push for more in the middle of a park. Oh, a park where he brought his children to play on the weekends. Allegedly. So I told him to bring me back to the bus station so I could leave. He did, and then proceeded to tell me a story about how he recently got a drug seller out of hiding by modifying text messages sent by his girlfriend. He basically made him believe she was cheating on him to get him to confront her, and then he arrested him. You can't do that. He can't do that, I promise you. Jesus fucking Christ. Local PD, are you shitting on my face? No way. I don't know if it's true. I don't know if it's possible. Due to what just happened, what I heard was, I can make your boyfriend believe you're cheating on him. (sighs) You can do amazing things with the power of the internet, but that is not one that I'm aware of. I'm pretty proficient. And my boyfriend was still on his hike by that time. We did talk once every few days, and I told him everything from the moment he had some self-signal. Meanwhile, I was confronting Nick about that. You're still talking to him. You're a fucking mouth breather. His behavior was really strange as he went from, I'm sorry, I think I'm in love with you, to, if you tell the cops, who do you think they'll believe, their colleague or an immigrant? Probably the scared woman, just based on how police departments go. They'll probably believe her. I got scared and tried to cool things down with him. I just felt he could go crazy at any moment. He clearly wasn't used to women refusing him. At that point, I thought it would be safer for me and my boyfriend to maintain... To maintain contact with Nick. Albeit with less enthusiasm than before, but after understanding how obsessed I was, how obsessed he was, I blocked him from all platforms where I knew he had an account. But he found me. He sent me my address, asking if I loved living in that particular part of town. I never gave him my address. Guess he could pull some strings at the station to get my info. He even came to visit me at my job. I was so scared, I just played it as if everything was okay. I told him my boyfriend wanted me to cut ties with him because he was angry about what happened, which was true. But I also wanted him out of my life. I didn't know how he would react if I told him, however. Nick insisted that I loved him, that I could be his mistress, and that my boyfriend didn't have to know. He was obsessed by me, and he didn't even hide it anymore. He told me how he wanted to uh, F star 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 me, How we'd be a great couple, but how he'd father our kids. He went from I'll be husband material to serial rapist in a matter of seconds. 
I refused again, blocking him, changing my accounts, etc. I got scared when I got calls from unknown numbers. I was terrified when I saw anybody slowing down on a motorcycle to clo- too close to my apartment. I was wary of going outside or going to my job. The quarantine was welcome for me, really, and I didn't get any news from him for months. And then I broke my cell phone. I knew I could transfer all my numbers from one phone to another, but I didn't know it would unblock previously blocked numbers. Days later, I got a message from him. He told me he had divorced his wife, he still loved me, and he still wanted to marry me. He apologized for making me believe I was only mistress material and that I was worth so much more. He said my boyfriend didn't love me and that I deserved better, and he was waiting for me. When he saw that I saw the message, he said, Finally, I thought you'd never unblock me. Does that mean he was sending this message over and over again in hopes I'd finally see it? No, narcissist. (laughs) That narcissistic man used all the manipulation tactics he knew. He had told me before we met in person how he learned those skills to toy with criminals to have them tell the truth and admit the crimes. Fortunately, I had dated manipulative men before, knew the signs. Basically, he wasn't used to not getting what he wanted. He was attractive, rich, interesting, and he knew that. He couldn't have been that rich. He's a fucking police officer. (laughs) I blocked him again, and we moved a few months later. I just hope he doesn't get his hand on this information. I believe Nick's last move was trying to hack into my Instagram as I got a notification that somebody from his hometown had tried to connect to my account. So obsessed police officer who chased me for over a year, let's never meet again. You are a fucking idiot. You did that to yourself. And uh, I didn't mean that disparaging remark too harshly about police officers, but there's Carnegie's, and then there's people that work for a living. And uh, cops, much like myself, work for a living. They're not steel tycoons or rail tycoons, that's all I meant. (laughs) Didn't mean that to be as rude as it sounded. But that woman, to you, dumb woman that wrote that fucking story, let us never meet, because you're fucking mouth-breathing hussy. We're Fleesa. We began as a credit card company, and thanks to customer allegiance and 29% interest fees that retain clients for life, we became a bank. But we're more than that. We're a brokerage firm, too. What's better than a bank investing your assets for our profits in the safety and security of the stock market? Hey, America's been through some tough times. We've all had to make some sacrifices in health and dignity to make ends meet. At Fleesa, we've sacrificed our integrity and spent a fortune lobbying so that regulations don't bog down the future. Fleesa, credit cards, banking, brokerage. It's time to start paying for everything. All right, here's another one. In 2014, I was 17, and I would have to take the bus to and from school. The bus stop is on the main road, so I would have to walk a few blocks to get to, my, to, get to the apartment complex. I was walking home from school one day, and this Honda van pulls over. A girl comes out, introduces herself, and tells me she's new to the area and wants to make new friends. I gave her my apartment number, and quickly we made plans to have dinner. Maybe a day or two later, she picks me up in the van, but this time with a man who was driving and also another young female. She did not mention these other two people, but I didn't think much of it. There were a lot of red flags that I ignored, but I was also young and naive. The man was doing all the talking during our dinner, and the other two girls were quiet. Another red flag. He put this fake, nice tone in his voice the entire time, asking me questions. Then he started getting weird, like saying how he can read minds and started telling me all this information he knew about me. I had no idea how he knew all that, so I believed him. After dinner, we stopped by their house, which was in a whole other city where my apartment is. Remember how the girl told me that she stayed by me, another red flag. It was a really nice house, though, and he had a Mercedes in the driveway. 
My young mind was intrigued. He told me how they're all roommates and they hustle together. He took me back home. He took me back home the night, though, by himself and was trying to convince me to be a part of their lifestyle. A couple days after this point, I'm only texting the man. The girl barely had any conversations with me, but he tricked me into thinking he was a super nice person. He asked me to pack some clothes and spend the night, and I agreed. After hours of talking, he convinced me to leave my mom's house and stay with them. I texted my mom that I was moving out. As I was already almost 18, she was okay with it for some fucking reason. And that's when shit hit the proverbial fan. He was not the nice, charming person that I had met. Only after I moved in did he tell me that those girls were sex workers and that I would become one too when I turned 18. He started telling me how to do my hair and how to dress. He gave me a a whole new phone and a number with a tracking app on it. I was not allowed to contact my mother or any of my family or friends, and he would keep insisting he could read minds and hear my thoughts. Even the smallest mistake I made, he would punish me for. He duct-taped my hands and feet, tased my vagina. Yikes. Stabbed me with screwdrivers through... Threw M from the second balcony by one's leg. Punched me until I passed out, and all with a smile on his face. He enjoyed hurting me. I will never forget the look on his face. I can't explain it. It's like his eyes literally would turn black. Holy crap. This was real. I thought only people were like this in the movies. People are really out here torturing people. He also made me watch those gore videos of people getting decapitated and the most disgusting videos of people getting tortured I'd ever seen. All while holding a knife to my neck. He would also have sex with me every day when the girls went to work at the hotels. He would lie and say I was the only one he was intimate with and that I was special. He told me if I ever tried to leave or if I ever told anybody where I was, he would kill me and them. He would go into detail about exactly how he wanted to kill me and where he would put my body. One day, he had me lay down and he beat me so bad in my stomach while his leg was choking my neck, I blacked out and woke up confused. My vision was tunneled. I had a huge knot in the back of my head. I couldn't even stand up straight. I had no idea why... I had no idea what else he did to me while I was passed out, but at that point, I told myself the man was going to kill me. I'd rather risk him killing me if I get caught trying to leave than spending any more time with this monster. I didn't care about the threats anymore. I wanted to be gone. I didn't sleep that night. I waited until I heard him snoring really loud and made a run for it. I took nothing, not even the phone, because it had a tracker on it, and gah, damn it, I made it, by the grace of God. (laughs) I still didn't speak to my mother for about three months out of fear. I was right, because he went looking for me at her apartment. Don't even know how he knew where she lived. Because you told your address to the first bitch, dumbass. Eventually, I reached out to her, and she filed a missing persons re- because she had filed a missing persons report. She was crying because she thought I'd been murdered. I went on with my life. I did end up stripping. I still do sometimes. Fast forward to 2017, one of the girls was smart because somehow she set him up. Son of a bitch is rotting in prison now, I found out because the detectives were looking for me. There's articles about him and all. I'm still cool with the girls, I know it wasn't their fault. We still talk, because I'm a fucking idiot. So dipshit, if we ever meet again, we will never meet again because you're going to hell. It seems like you found Jesus at some point. You annoy me. If you want the article, just send me a message because I'm getting too many comments smiley face. (laughs) I'm not posting the link on this thread because I don't know if I'm being paranoid, but it makes me feel uncomfortable. I will send it in a message. No problem. You are getting messaged. Biatch. (laughs) God. That one was a slog, but that's pretty fucked up if it actually happened. Alright, this next one is called Why I Have a Fear of Windows. 
I live in a small, small town. You blink and you miss it. The best we can boast about is a single stop. A single stop sign in a gas station, which we only have because of the nearby highway. Any actual semblance of a town is 25 minutes away. So when things get scary out here, it's amplified. The occasional homeless person is no big deal. They're often just drifting through. Drug addicts run rampant and will steal everything they can from your house, but it's normal out here. However, what happened a few years ago certainly wasn't normal. Originally, I was dead asleep in my bed. I only woke up because it was burning hot in my room. But it was summertime and not much I could do. I just remember tossing and turning until I got a creepy feeling that fell in the pit of my stomach. I glanced over to the bathroom door, and it was open with the light on. Everything seemed normal. I left the light on so I wouldn't trip and die if I had to piss in the middle of the night. Next, I glanced at the window directly across from my bed. I had no curtains, but I did have a shitty set of blinds. Part of the blinds are broken from wear and tear, and the crappy AC output beneath it would make them move back and forth, so you'd get a glimpse every so often outside. The yard light was still going, but what made me stop was the outline at my window. The figure of somebody was directly at my window, almost like it was waiting for the blinds to move to watch me. I didn't have an imagination as a child, that had been trained out of me, but the sight was enough to pour every horror film into my head at that one moment. I squeezed my eyes shut and pulled my blankets over my head and slept in a cloth oven that night. By morning, the figure was gone. I remember running to my mom's room on the verge of tears in the morning, telling her what happened. She laughed at me like I was a fucking moron or something, and told me it was probably a stray cat that climbed up there for one reason or another. I almost believed her since my window was pretty high off the ground, but something didn't sit right about it. Yeah, cats and people tend to look a little different in the nighttime, Mom. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Later that day, when we were doing yard work, I glanced over at my window and saw one of our plastic patio chairs had been pushed up against it. I pointed it out to my mother, who proceeded to chew me out. That's how the cat got up there, dipshit. Stop leaving furniture everywhere. But I hadn't moved it. It was heavy enough that I struggled to move it. So we moved it back, and so began a pattern. At night, I'd see the figure, complain to my mom, and we'd find a chair moved back every single morning. This went on for literally weeks. My mother stopped caring about my concerns until one morning we saw where the outside of my screen had been sliced open. I still remember her shaking her head and complaining about the damn stray cats that we had yet to see. I could tell she was unnerved by that development. I couldn't handle it anymore and opted to sleep in our living room every night. The only problem was our kitchen and living room connected, which meant there were always several windows. Yeah, remember that drug problem you were talking about? I think your mom might be part of the fucking problem in that town. Jesus Christ. Nah, honey, go back to bed. It's a fucking cat or shadow person. <laughs> the first night of my move went well, despite my back hurting from the couch. Jesus Christ, you can't move a fucking lawn chair and your back hurts all the time? What's wrong with you? I avoided my room like the plague. It wasn't until four days later we ran into an issue. I woke up and glanced at the clock above the fireplace. It read a little past... 3 a.m. <laughs> yeah, horror movie junkie. I couldn't really realize why I'd woken up again. There was a beam of light shining in from the kitchen window, almost like somebody was shining a flashlight in. I saw it trace along the walls and land on the love seat across from the couch I was on. I was mortified. When I told my mom, she continued to burn the meth and laugh at me. I gave in and decided I would sleep in my dad's room, even though it had a gigantic window. He slept in the recliner with a huge TV, so I felt more safe having somebody around. Yard light was directly outside the window anyway, it seemed foolproof. That was until I woke up out of habitual fear and watched through the window across the bed. Everything seemed normal, as time drug on and I felt like a moron. Maybe my drug addict mother was right. That was until I saw a lone figure come out of the woods by the backyard shed, walk directly under the light and head to the patio furniture like he'd been there plenty of times before. I still remember the large build the man had and the confidence like he was the only one that lived there and wasn't creeping around in my yard in the dead of night. 
I just remember listening to the TV until I fell asleep. Watching cops, no doubt. <laughs> uh, until I fell asleep again, hoping to get another glimpse. My dad would have been pissed if I'd woken him up. He was grumpy on a good day and terrifying on a bad one, and I didn't feel like risking it until I had solid proof because I was scared. The next morning, my mom chewed my ass out again for the patio furniture, which was routine almost a month later. But this time, something new had happened. She demanded I stop playing in the toolboxes in the garage. A bunch of tools had been taken out and left on the doorstep. Screwdrivers, a hammer, flashlight, etc. Definitely wasn't me. I don't know the difference between a hammer or a screwdriver. I begged with my mom and pleaded with her, just stay up with me one night. We couldn't close our garage because it was an open carport, and, and you left tools there, you fucking hillbilly? And I wasn't going to get my ass beaten for touching tools because of somebody else. It was driving me insane. Finally, she agreed. That night, we'd stay awake in our living room. I finally fell asleep before my mom did, but I remember her waking me up in a panic. She pointed to the window that overlooked our garage. We could see the top of somebody's head as they walked back and forth. There was a sound of somebody placing metal tools down on the brick steps as if they were trying to be quiet but couldn't fully muffle it. She whispered for me to go wake my dad. My dad was angry, having been woken up after coming down in the middle of the night by his frantic daughter. He grabbed his pistol, smoked some shit, and headed out to the back door, or headed out to the front of the house where the garage was located. We heard my dad screaming and somebody dropping tools. Then he shot the gun twice. The frantic footsteps pounded out of the garage. felt like they were coming from my chest. My mom peeked out the window and then opened the door and my dad stumbled in. He had missed both shots because of his unstable abe, but told us that there was a man crouching at the front door looking at the door handle. None of us slept that night. In the morning... The law, 25 miles away, finally arrived. They didn't do much besides ask if anything had been stolen, ask for a description of the man, and then told us to install cameras because they didn't patrol that area. That was it. They said the guy was probably just looking for something easy to steal for quick money. If that had been the case, why hadn't he stolen anything? The generator, the welder, uh, or broken into any of the vehicles just sitting in the garage. We finally set up hunting trail cameras around the house, but nothing has happened since. Yeah, getting shot at will do that to somebody. <laughs> Coming home from college for the holidays, I still have nightmares about the incident years later when I sleep in my own bed. I don't know what he was looking for or why he did the things he did. Whatever the case may be, man at the window, go fuck yourself. That's pretty spooky. I have the similar fear of, uh, not so much of windows, but imagine just looking out the window in the middle of the night and seeing somebody there. Same same with my mirror thing. There's no real story behind it. It just frightens me. <laughs> Whatever. Everyone's got their thing. Fleesa means convenience like never before. Soon, you'll always be within 50 feet of a Fleesa Bank ATM. We won't stop until we're on every corner in Los Santos, Liberty City, and every other major metropolitan area. But why stop there? We're putting Fleesa ATMs everywhere. The dentist office, family planning clinics, adult novelty shops, funeral homes, and children's wards. Call today and we'll even put an ATM in your bedroom to spice things up. Stop by Fleesa Bank and learn more about our range of services that weren't possible until we lobbied for deregulation. Fleesa, credit cards, banking, brokerage. It's time to start paying for everything. Adrenaline junkie? Fitness fanatic? Athlete? Isn't it time you tried Ego Chaser and took thanks to the limit? The official energy bar sponsor of extreme sports like base jumping, kite surfing, sandboarding, free climbing, helicopter parkour, wingsuit flying, big wave surfing, snowmobile accidents, biathlons, triathlons, and 100-mile ultramarathons. You press it to the limit. You're a super athlete, even though you have an office job and a family you ignore. You don't have time for real friends or to eat proper meals. You're a warrior. You're in training. For what? 
but who knows? But one thing we do know, you don't even need food. You need fuel. You need calories to burn. And the Ego Chaser Energy Bar delivers. Ego Chaser. Pump yourself up. Let yourself go. It's time to go past the limit. It's not even the limit. It's the energy bar that's all about you. How big is your Ego Chaser? All right, this next one sold me on the title alone. It's called My Mix Stalker, which amuses me. This story took place a few years ago when I was 16F. The fuck? Oh, a 16-year-old female, I believe is what she meant to say. I will admit that I was young and naive and tended to believe that I would never meet anybody that I would wish or that would wish or do me any harm as I grew up in a very small town where everybody knew each other. Background. The stocking was eight months long. Oh boy, this is going to be a doozy, I can already tell. It all started on the first day of work at McDonald's. <laughs> you can't even spell the name of your place. You were a place of business. Oh my god. All right. Uh, I don't really remember anything unusual for that shift except for meeting my stalker in our conversation, which I will re- who what? Which I will refer to as D. Who you Okay, whatever. For some context, D was 26M at the time that this took place and happened to move to town I live in a year before I met him, so nobody in town knew much about him. (sighs) Okay, as I was saying, it was near the end of my shift when D came up to me to introduce himself, as he was one of my co-workers. The first thing that D said to me was, I know your name is Warped Leo, but I don't know your age. I replied that I was 16. He then made a few remarks about how I looked more mature than 16, which I awkwardly laughed off as I've never been in a situation like this and also wanted to build a good relationship with the people I'm working with. After those awkward remarks, he tried making more conversations with me while hovering around and watching me restock items for the front counter area. He told me that he was 26, but that mentally he's 16 and that he moved here because he was running from the police. Which should have been major red flags to me to just ignore him and not continue conversations. However, I gave him the benefit of the doubt that he was just awkward and it couldn't have been anything serious as he lived here for almost a year and the police haven't got him after yet him. Nice. After I finished restocking, I clocked out and waited at one of the tables in the lobby for my moms to pick me up. D followed me to the table and began asking me for my numbers as he said he enjoyed talking to me. Luckily, I had enough common sense to tell him no and that I didn't feel comfortable giving a guy that was 10 years older than me my number. He kept begging for my number after I told him no, so I told him if he guessed my number, he could have it. He surprisingly agreed to this and proceeded to try to guess my number until my mom showed up. Once I got home, I took a shower and started playing mobile games on my mobile phone. When all of a sudden I get a text message from an unknown number, it said, Hey, I enjoyed talking with you. Do you work tomorrow? I replied, With who this? It's D, he says. How did you get my number? Oh, I seen it on your application. How did you seen my application? It was sitting on the manager's desk. Oh, I then blocked him and started to realize that old D is a bit creep. The next shift that I worked with D was also working. As soon as he saw me, he stormed up to me and asked me why I wasn't responding to his messages and calls. I lied and told him my mom found out he messaged me and she made me block him. I know that I shouldn't have lied, but he just seemed so angry I didn't want him to blow up in face. He then asked if we could message on an app that my mom wouldn't know about and I told him no and that we shouldn't have any sort of relationship outside of work because I'm 16 and he's 26 and implied that it's inappropriate for him to try to be pursuing any sorts of relationships. 
He became more frustrated and he told me that I was a bitch because he was only trying to be my friend and he has no friends here. I don't deal well with confrontation, so I apologized and just quietly tried to do my job. He spent the rest of the shift slamming things in the kitchen area and muttering every time he walked past me. From then on, he would either act like my best friend or like he hated me at work. I dreaded going to work because of him, but it was the only place where I can work that was close to my home, as I would either wait for my mom to pick me up or walk home. On one of the nights that he was pretending to be my best friend, he mentioned seeing me walk home and that he followed me to my house to make sure I was safe. He then preceded to tell me where my bedroom was, which the only window from my room led into the backyard that is just a forest. This is when I snapped. It had been about two months of him being like this, and I told him to leave me alone and stop talking to me. After my outburst, he seemed shocked at first, but he left me alone for about three weeks or so. I found out later from other coworkers that he followed me to my home after my shifts and that he told everyone we were dating but that I was too shy to show my affection for him in public. After those three weeks, he called my mom. I'm assuming he got her number from my application as she was listed as an emergency contact and left a voicemail that asked for my hand in marriage and that any man would be blessed to marry me. Of course, my mom freaked out and questioned me over who left the voicemail. I don't know why I lied, maybe because I thought I was going to get in trouble, but I said it's just some kid from school playing a prank and she believed me. After that, I just ignored D at work and decided that I shouldn't give him any sort of reaction to hopefully deter him from his obsessive behavior. I also always had my mom pick me up after work and would make sure all the doors and windows were locked after everybody in the house went to bed. However, ignoring D did nothing and he would just try to constantly talk to me while I work and he ignored my lack of participation in conversation. It got to the point where everyone at work noticed his weird behavior with me and my manager pulled me aside one day to talk about it. She told me that she'd been watching his behavior around me and that she can tell how uncomfortable I am around him. I told her I was indeed uncomfortable around D, but didn't mention him stalking me because I convinced myself that if I kept my head down and ignored it, it would just stop. Luckily, that's all it took for her to switch his schedule so we didn't work the same shifts. And she informed the other manager so that he, he couldn't try to tr swap shifts with other co-workers that had the same shift as me. At first, I was happy because I wouldn't have to be around him anymore. However, my happiness was short-lived as he would just show up while I worked and watch me as he sat in the lobby. The managers couldn't kick him out as he would always order a soda to stay in the lobby as he was a paying customer and we can't kick out paying customers unless they do something dramatic. The behavior went on for months of him just watching me at my work until one day he clocked out and never came back. Turns out he got kicked out by his landlord and had to move, out of, move back to his hometown. I don't think anything of it. I was just relieved my stalker was finally gone until my one coworker asked me how I felt being in a long-distance relationship. I was confused, and then she asked me about the D. And when I found out that he told everyone we were dating and that they had to move his shift as coworkers that are in a relationship aren't allowed to work together and no one said anything because I was supposedly shy about our relationship. I quickly informed her we were never dating and told her about how he followed me and some of his strange behaviors. Shortly after that, every coworker that thought we were dating learned the truth of the situation because I talk about my personal life too fucking much at work and don't know when to shut the fuck up and told me lies he would say about our relationship. Hearing the delusions he had made me realize how dangerous the situation really was. One of the delusions that, one of the delusions that he had that stood out to me, he had out to me, was him planning to pro pro propose to me as we wanted to get married 
and that it would be the right thing to do as I was pregnant with his child. All in all, it was one of the worst times of my life, and to this day, I always check the locks on every window and door before I go to sleep. So too, my Mick Stalker, let's never meet again. Man, that speaking ability, you are a catch, no doubt. Jesus fucking Christ. And what the fuck, you're working a job, don't you have stuff to do? Where's the boss just letting him wander around, pinching asses and shit? What the fuck? Jesus Christ, when I was a manager, that shit never would have fucking happened. <laughs> Why are you talking? Stop speaking. Start working. <laughs> Put a mixed smile on your fucking face. Jesus Christ, come on, man. Do something. We're paying you to do something. Not hit on the underage help. But that's just me. I guess I have a progressive management style. I expect people to fucking work. <laughs> Excluding myself, of course. <laughs> uh, break time. Hey there! Why invest in currency, stocks, or real estate? They aren't tangible assets. When the market crashes, you're left with nothing. Invest in something real. Get in on the next boom now with Floyd's Scrap Metal Emporium. Strip mining's been popular with companies. Now you can take strip mining urban as we strip mine a church or empty condo. It's the next economy that junkies discovered. Now you can cash in on it. Gut your plumbing. Melt down your knives and forks for cash. Take apart old electronics. Dissect batteries yourself and take out the lead. These days, buyers are paying top dollar for metal. Melt down your kid's tricycle or your aging mother's wheelchair and turn it into cold hard cash. She's gonna be dead soon anyway. Quit pushing her around. We'll see ya at Floyd's Scrap Metal Emporium. All right, this is gonna be the last one. It's called Beat Up by a Gang. I have posted in this subreddit before about an encounter I had as a child and realized I have more stories from my past that would fit here well. This is a long story. Hope I can keep it engaging. You're losing me, fuckhead. This happened in late 2000s. Oh boy. When I was 12, 12 years old. Jesus Christ. Who feels old? Raise your hand. Me too. I grew up and lived in a developing nation, so many of the folks who read regularly here might not completely understand slash relate to the circumstances in the incident, but I'll try my best to give any background necessary. <laughs> and that developing nation is Virginia. <laughs> I was never given permission by my parents to stay out after 7 p.m. for any reason, regardless of the requirement. A movie that ends at 6.30, and I was dropped home by my friend's parents? No! Study at my neighbor's house past 7 p.m.? No. So I was naturally very excited when I got permission to go watch a late-night movie with all of my cousins and stay the night at my grandmother's place. We were six of us together, five male, one female cousin. I was the youngest, the rest were adults in their mid-twenties. The movie finished at 2 a.m. and we were, we were asked to go straight from the theater home, which was nearby. I was more excited to see the city late at night more than watching the new movie that was a big hit. We all went... We all went in three motorcycles to the theaters and decided that once the movie was over, we would go to a cafe that was open 24-7 to have some ice cream in a cafe. This was the only place that was still open and was relatively far away from my grandparents' house. I can't tell you how excited all of us were because this was a new place that opened up in the city and was very popular. My friends used to brag about how many times they'd visited the place and how beautiful the view of the city lake is in the middle of the night. Once the movie was over and we come outside, except for the crowd from the theater, the roads were completely deserted, not a soul in sight. Only the street lights lit up the roads, filled with potholes and nothing. Not even the medical stores were open. 
My female cousin had extremely strict parents, so she declined to come, and she has to be back home because her parents were waiting up for her to get back, and she. We all tried to convince her to come with us. We are six of us, after all, but to no end. She was adamant that she has to be home, and we eventually decided to let her go home. We were now four of us on two motorcycles and started riding towards the cafe. I was the pillion with my brother riding. He was riding bitch. And I noticed that one motorcycle was following us. It was easy as there were as we were the only people on the road. I told my brother immediately, and he said they're probably going to the same place to ignore it. A little further, another motorcycle asked my cousin to stop and pretended to ask for directions. They stopped, thinking the guys were lost, and started giving them directions. While they were talking to the two guys asking for directions, two more motorcycles show up and surround us. Somehow, eight of them, suddenly... Whatever that means. At this point, we realized that this was an ambush, but it was already too late. One of the guys pushed my cousin from the motorcycle onto the ground and started hitting him. The rest of us were trying to defend him. Once the fighting stops, one of the cousins was bleeding all over already. Then they start to ask us to call our female cousin and tell her to come back. They have been following us from the theater. They said, tell her you just need to talk to her, so ask her to come back. He needs to see her. Whatever that means. At first, we pretend we had no woman with us. We didn't know what he's talking about. He told us he'll kill all of us if we don't ask her to come meet us. The roads were abandoned, and the occasional car that goes on the road just passed by without slowing. Most likely, the people in the car were afraid to get involved. The guns, or the guys, were clearly having fun. Laughing while they punched and kicked us. With no help in sight, one of my cousins punches one of the guys and yells, Run, and instinctively, we all run in different directions, abandoning the motorcycles on the street. Nice move. They start chasing us on foot at first, then went back and got their motorcycles chasing us through the streets. I didn't have a mobile phone with me, and I was unfamiliar with the area. I ran randomly, looking for a hiding place. I jumped a wall into a random random person's house while the motorcycle drove by on the road looking for us. I don't know where the rest of my cousins were, especially the ones who were bleeding badly. The house I jumped into was home to a huge dog who started barking at me, waking up the owners. They obviously assumed I was there to rob them, but having one look at the 12-year-old boy in tears and clearly shaken, they asked me what happened. I explained everything, and I told them I had no idea where my brothers were. They gave me a phone, and I called up the police, who said they will dispatch a patrol car, and we can expect it in two hours. (laughs) I had all my brothers' numbers memorized, but I didn't want to call them as I was afraid they might be hiding and a ringing cell phone would give it away. I thanked the kind people who offered to host me until morning, but I had to get to my grandmother's place to find my cousins and if they'd made it back. I sneaked through the streets and found my grandparents' home. Two of my cousins made it, but my brothers were still out there. Finally, he calls us and tells us he's hiding and will come back once the sun comes out and there's a general crowd outside. Until dawn, motorcycles kept passing by our house and we were afraid they followed one of us home. At dawn, my brother gets back and I was the only one uninjured. One of my cousins got stitches on his face, another broke one of his ribs, and my brother had a hairline fracture somewhere. We all ran through the night, and suddenly, all the strict impositions by our parents make sense to us. My brother called the cops too, and nobody showed up ever. There was no support from anybody, and I can't even imagine what would have happened if my female cousin was with us. We never got a call back from the cops to ask us if we were fine. I can't begin to imagine what would have happened if they caught one of us. Needless to say, we never went anywhere late at night for a long time. To the people who ambushed us and beat us up and beat us up for fun, let's not meet again. Yeah, yeah, we get it. I could I could comment on that, but I don't need to. <laughs> I think you guys can figure out what I would say for yourselves. 
And that is the end of today's show. Thank you all for tuning back in. Uh, I'm going to go over stats after a brief break and fake advertisement. So stand by. Hey, around here is barbecue season year-round. That means it's time to kill some factory-farmed animals, pack the cooler, cremate some dead flesh, and invite your friends over to get into drunken fistfights. At Smoked Dreams, we have oversized grills that can smoke a 10-point buck or medium-weight neighbor. <laughs> hey, in the suburban backyard barbecue ego wars, you need the equipment to prove you're manly. Fry a turkey live for a great party trick. Or pick up our $15,000 grill with a built-in abattoir. Insert a live animal and it will skin butcher and flip it on the grill automatically while your neighbors look on in envy at what a man you are. Forget about charcoal or propane. With our patented mixture of kerosene and liquid hydrogen, you'll scorch the competition. We also sell backyard tiki torches that can be used in case you need to form a drunken mob to run a neighbor out of town. Smoke dreams. Kill it and grill it. All right, the top countries of listenership. The United States, United Kingdom, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, Germany, Philippines, Bahamas, Malta, and Ireland. Thank you very much. Cities, top 10. Houston, Texas, Garner, North Carolina, Dallas, Texas, Austin, Texas, San Antonio, Texas, Phoenix, Arizona, Minneapolis, Minnesota, Charlotte, North Carolina, Cambridge, Cambridgeshire, and Chicago, Illinois. Thank you all very much. I appreciate your listenership and support. If you would like to reach out to me, you can do so by going to Instagram.com slash DukeLandis17. That's Instagram.com slash D-U-K-E-L-A-N-D-I-S-1-7. Uh, for shits and giggles recently, I've been making Ouija boards. So if you're interested in that, they are quite exquisite and very unique. If you'd like a Ouija board, I have a limited number. Message me and I'll... Uh, we can we can negotiate a price. I'm pretty reasonable. That's my uh, my one advertisement for the show that's legit. If you want to buy a Ouija board, hit me up. I make them custom. As of recently and in lieu of boredom. Alright, that's all guys. Thank you. And until next time, stay spooky. Don't. 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 Don't.